I'm almost an old veteran now. I've been here more than 18 months. That's kind of the honeymoon's over, you know. Time to get on about your business. Since I've been here, there's been a lot of thought and work going on by you as you seek to understand this new person who keeps appearing before you and perhaps calling you to water that you've not walked in lately, or perhaps calling upon you to seek a new boat in order to traverse the waters that you're in. What are the question might be that you're seeking to answer. I've been seeking in all this time to get to know you as a congregation, to understand your situation, and to get a firm grasp on the context of what we are about as a congregation. Today is a great example of one of the many beautiful things that you do as a church, as you've been such a strong supporter of scouting in this community. But there's oh so much more, isn't there? There's oh so much more that goes on in the church of Jesus Christ. And yet in many churches across the land, I've discovered through the years that oftentimes they lack things that hold them together. They lack things that keep them focused on what's the most important things that they might be doing. And as I've thought about this over the past 18 months, I've continued to ask myself the question, what is this church's dream? What is it that you dream about God doing in you and through you as one part of his body of the Christ here on earth. What's our dream? Are we clear about that? Have we, can we articulate that, each of us, and it doesn't sound like it's unified as we share our dreams one with the other? I've been asking myself, what is the mission of this church? Every church is not meant to be the same. We need our Baptist brothers and sisters, our Lutheran brothers and sisters, the Roman Catholic brothers and sisters that we have. We need the Church of Christ. We need the Pentecostal churches. We need every expression of the faith to realize its own particular mission to the people that we have been called to serve in such a way that we can be clear about the faith, in such a way that we can be unified in the kind of way that glorifies God and therefore becomes the wind that causes the body of Christ, the church, to soar, not to stumble. Because across this world in the last 30 years, we see increasingly the impact of the church upon the culture in which we live becoming, it seems like, less and less. Now, I know that may not be true for you, but it is true of our culture in general. There's no doubting that unless we just want to put a paper bag over our heads and ignore all reality. I'm not a paper bag wearer. It's clear to me that the church has much to do, the church universal as well as this church specifically. What is the mission that God is calling us to? And finally, what is your vision for us? What does it look like when we are following a dream, going about our mission? How do we see that happening? How do we develop the strategies How do we develop the intent and the focus to make it happen? Do we know where we're going and what we're trying to do is a simple answer. 35 years ago when I began ministry, I soon began to learn from a concept that I had as a layperson that most churches didn't know what they were doing. That was a shock to me. Maybe it's not a shock to you. You've been involved in church all your life. You've probably experienced it. The churches tend together, have worship, Sunday school, youth group, and children's ministries, and do their thing year after year after blessed year. Right? And this church does it this way. This church does it a little bit different. This church does it a little bit still. And yet, from amongst all those congregations, people who get together, there always seem to be some 
who are more intent about what they are doing. They are more clear about exactly what God wants to accomplish through them as a congregation. That is a people who have learned how to dream God's dream for them. That is a people who are clear about their mission. That is a unique church that has a vision for how they're going to go about being the people of God. Now, it's not always been that way, has it? Nope, it hasn't. I'll answer my own question. In fact, it hadn't been that way in much of the Bible, has it? Example, Israel. Israel. The first church of the only true God. Israel. Most of this book is about Israel, how much they could mess up. And we kind of smile when we read that. And oftentimes when we're studying, we'll be going, boy, were they stupid. How could they be so slow? And then sometimes we look up in the mirror and we go, oh, my gosh. We look like them. We look like them. And this story in Isaiah 40 is about that. This is a great chapter, a turning point, if you will, in the book of Isaiah. As Isaiah begins to articulate what God is whispering in his ear, and he calls for him to cry it out to his people. Because, you see, a terrible thing has happened. The people are in exile. They are beginning to wonder at this point, has God completely forgotten about us? Does God even know that we've been sitting here as slaves for years? Yeah, I get it. We sinned. We messed up. But how long am I going to be punished for that sin? You ever wondered that about yourself? You ever wondered that about yourself? Maybe you feel so isolated from God because of what's happened in your life. And because things are not going better, you begin to wonder, does God care about me? Yeah, I know about the lucky stiff next door, you know. But what about me? What is God going to do for me? It's so easy for us to get tangled up in what's going on in our lives. And we're having a scheduled, intentional, transformational leadership weekend that's scheduled for March the 25th. About 40 people are going to come together, 10 staff or so, and 30 lay people. And we're going to spend about six or eight hours, having done probably about eight hours worth of homework beforehand, taking two kind of opportunities to express our hopes and dreams for the church, how we evaluate our congregation. And then we're going to discuss that. And from that is going to become the idea of who we see we are. It's not going to be my idea. It's not going to be the person who's coming as our leader, their idea. They're going to help us to discover what we believe God has called us to do as a group. Now, the way that happens, I'm just going to tell you how it's going to happen. Prayerfully, the pastoral staff, with the help of the rest of the staff, are going to select those 30 people. There might even be 10 more of you who are asked to fill out forms that won't be required to come to the Saturday meeting. But these need to be 30 serious individuals of various ages, stations in life, genders, representing different segments of the congregation. We're going to pick very carefully who makes out that group. But here's the thing about it. You know, I don't know all of you by name, Right? Some of you know that, right? You keep saying, hello, Doug, and you keep waiting for me to say your name. And I told you the first Sunday I got here, but you might have forgotten, I'm a slow learner on names, okay? The way to really get me to know your name is just really get really involved on a committee or be at my office a lot, and I'll know your name, right? One way or the other, right? 
Well, I'd like to have those who think you might be one of those who should contribute to that information to feed our trough of the people we might be interested in. Because quite frankly, I can think of probably 75 of you that ought to be at that meeting, but the meeting won't work with 75. We have to distill it down. If you might be one of those persons, newer member, older member, in between member, how many years you've been here is important, but it's not the qualifying factor. You need to put your name down on this people on the chancel rail. It's down there, not by accident. And if you miss that, on the way out, there's another tablet out in the foyer at the help desk out there. All you have to do is sign your name if you'd like to be considered. It does not mean you'll get to come, but you must be available most of Saturday. Beginning at 8.30 a.m., that's not 8.40, that's 8.30 A.M. Saturday morning, we won't quit until 1.30 at the earliest. We'll try to be through by then. And then on March the 5th, you'll be asked to come to a personality profile where we'll be learning more about each other as we start to study the Berkman test. That'll be a little bit smaller group of the 42, and we'll learn how we can best work together to accomplish God's mission in an intentional, fact-finding way of what God is calling us to do. That's a short advertisement, not part of the sermon. Don't hold that minute and a half against me. Now, Judah and Israel are just like that. They're right there. They are whining. They are worrying. They are stressed out. They'd fit right in in our century, wouldn't they? We're good at growing whiners and worriers. We're good at stressing people out. You would be shocked at how many people or taking bottles of pills to handle their stress. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. But you know, there are a lot of reasons people need sometimes medications to help them with stresses in life for a short period of time. But some people, and many people in our nation, are stressed out. Let me say a word to the scouts. Scouts, you're too young to be stressed out. Quit it. Don't be coming home telling your parents, man, I am so stressed out. No, you're not. You've got to worry about the tail. You've got it made. Get real. You don't have to go to work every morning. You have to show up for school. You get to go to scouts. It's a great trip. You're too young to be stressed out. Teenagers, don't tell me how stressed out you are. My gosh, you have more energy in your little bodies than I will expel the next three months. (laughs) You have more future ahead of you. A lot more than I've got, let's face it. I'm going to be gone from this scene a lot quicker than you are. You can't have messed up so much in your life at this point that you should be stressed out. You say, but you don't know my life. Yes, I do. I've been doing this 35 years. I started when I was six. (laughs) I'm talking to the youth. Y'all can just kind of lay off of it out there. So if you're feeling stressed out, take a deep breath and say, really? Really? Is this really that important? So that girl doesn't like me. You know how many million and billion other women there are in the world beside that one? Many, trust me. But she is the only one. Oh, quit it. (laughs) Quit it. I've done that. It was a bad mistake. Don't do it. Trust me. Yes, I know. You could think he's the only one. Really, I can't imagine that, but anyway. Okay, got that settled for the youth. Now for the rest of the stressed out world. Like Judah, who is saying, God, have you forgotten us? Do you care about us? 
Here we are. You know we're slaves again. We're sitting here where you sent us because we sinned. And here's the haunting question going on in their mind. Have you forgiven us? The consequences of our sin seem overwhelming at this point. And we don't like consequences, and neither did they. We don't like consequences. But God says to them clearly, he wants to get their attention. And here's an important thing about it. Have you ever changed your life by whining? Now, wives, I know I'm going to get in trouble again. Sometimes it seems the only time your husband responds is when you whine a lot. And there's nothing more pitiful than a male whining to his wife, is there? But we're pretty good whiners, too. And we think we get what we want by whining. And you might actually get it for a moment. But did you ever think about the damage you caused in getting what you wanted that time? Just think. No, I'm not going to say that because my wife will. Y'all, I'll get ambushed in the name of my wife. Y'all think that my wife doesn't know I use her in illustrations, don't you? You know, she's been hearing this for 35 years. You know, when we started, we had three congregations. We preached at all three of them every morning, and she would get up and rise and go to all three and then critique me between each sermon as we drove to the next church. (laughs) So please, tempered sympathy only for her. My children have grown up, and they've gotten too old to be my illustrations, so now it's my grandchildren. And bless their hearts, they can't complain too much yet. Forgive us. They were desperate. Some of you are probably desperate this morning. Some of you are probably so filled with worry about your almost grown children that you don't know what to do. Some of you are desperate in the relationships you're in. Some of you have been whining to God and you've been filled with anxiety. Because you can't seem to get out of the economic pit that you're living in. I get that. God gets that too. It's natural, I think, for humanity to be that way. Very natural. It comes from our fallen nature as people. We want God to deliver us from the unpleasantness of life. We want God... To encourage us, encourage us, encourage us, and to make life easy. Even when we take wrong steps, we want God to keep making it easy. There's a reality to being human and living in this world that we cannot escape. And the answer that God gives to Judah and to Israel at this time is very pertinent to us. Because you see, the really their situation is like a coin with two sides. On one side of this, call this the life coin. There is the words, lose trust. And when you flip the coin over on the other side, it says, forget God. Because you see, the Israelites were the world's greatest, we think, at losing trust and forgetting God in their corporate lives and in their individual lives. Every time things got great for them, what did they do? They tend to forget to thank God. They tend to forget to praise God for the goodness that they'd received. They tend to start doing things their way, lacking the humiliation and the humility of their own sin to push them back to doing things God's way. When things are going great, we tend to forget God. 
Oh, no, I'm sorry. They tend to forget God. We wouldn't do that, would we? When we move into a times of prosperity, we don't forget God, do we? Do we always think that our whining gets God's attention and God is saying, man, they've got a silver spoon in their mouth and they're still whining. We are the richest nation on earth. I know that's always other people, not us. But it's us. You know, we mustn't forget God when things are great and begin to make our own decisions without God involved. We must keep our humility and our respect for God so that we remember his ways or God's ways. We can't just do our own thing and expect the blessings of God to continue. And then when things get bad, boy, that's when we really trust God. 911. The Sunday after 911 was probably our greatest week of attendance in worship services of all kinds. Not just the Christian church, but other churches as well. People flocked to church because they were terribly frightened and anxious, right? Man, you never saw such crowds. It was great the first week. The second week was almost as good. The third week, not so much. Not so much. By the fourth and fifth week, it was pretty much church as usual. Because the other thing we do is not only do we forget God when things are going well, but when things are going poorly, we forget to trust God. We forget to base everything on God. We forget how much we can trust God. We go to the doctor, and the doctor says, I've got bad news. And many, many Christians start acting like everybody else. Oh, my gosh. I could die. Duh. Not only can you die, but let me make you a promise and get it off your shoulders. You're going to die. Every one of us are going to die. Every time I say that to my oldest daughter, she would freak out on me. Quit saying that. How many times we went through this routine? I don't know. I would say something about getting older and I'm going to die one of these days. And she'd say, quit saying that. And I kept saying, do you really think I'm going to live forever? I can't do that. I don't even want to do that. I'm going to die. My daddy died. My grandpa died. My grandma died. My mama's 90. She ain't going to be here forever. And neither are you. And she finally, I think, one day got it. Sorry about that. I said I didn't do illustrations about my older children, didn't I? But she was younger when I, we made that illustration. But the reality is we're all going to die. And if you don't trust God now with your life here, how are you going to trust God for the eternal future that you're dreaming about? Trust God. Yes, I know I can go to the doctor tomorrow. He said, you're worried about a long-range plan? You need to be working on a short-range plan, dude. And if he says that, I'll have to go, wow, okay. How long have I got? And he'll say, eh, we'll figure that out later. But actually, we're all on the short-term plan. Health or anything else, it goes by in a hurry. In a hurry. Doesn't it? Just like my grandpa said, oh, no, he was right. The older I get, the shorter 24 hours becomes. Man, I've been stuck in this job. It's killing me. Doesn't God care? Yeah, God cares. God cares. Well, why doesn't God do something about it? What about my relationships? Does God know what a mess 
We're in in our house. Yes. God knows. And if things are bad, you have to ask yourself, have you lost your trust in God? And you have to remember when things get better to remember to thank and praise God and follow his ways. That is the message of Isaiah 40 all the way through. But I love the way it comes to a conclusion. The way it comes to a conclusion is is awesome in terms of the perennial problem that we humans have. Even though we are theological amnesiacs, and we are, because we keep forgetting to remember God when things are good, and we keep forgetting who God is when things are bad, we are theological amnesiacs. God is in charge. And so God whispered into Isaiah, go back down to my whiners, I mean my people, and tell them this. Have they not heard? Do they not remember? And he begins to bellow out to them. Who created the heavens and the earth? You're so worried about kings. What are kings to me? They wither and go away like grass. I can blow on them and they're disposed of. I am God Almighty. If you're not going to trust me, then you are not going to receive the benefits of being my child. After all, who are you? You are my children. I am your God. Why would we ever forget such a powerful truth as followers of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God? I don't know except to say that we're human. We do it. I love these words in this text. They're powerful. Lauren's going to put them back on the screen for us. As you look at them, you're reminded of the power. Have we not heard? Have we not known? Why have we failed to trust it? Lauren, put those on the screen for us. It's worth reading again. Because you see, this is a simple lesson, just like you get it in the early years in school. See some truth. Learn it, remember it, and remember to live your life by it. So I'm wondering, maybe there's a few of you who might be right now at the point where you're wondering about God. You've lost your trust. So here's my question. I'm reading from the text. It's not Doug's question. It's God's question to them and to us. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who likes might, he increases power. Though youths may grow weary and tired and faint, and though vigorous young people may stumble badly, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. It is a truism that when we are most vulnerable, that we are most attentive to God. It is then, hopefully and thankfully, that we can turn to great passages like this and get past the circumstances of our present and live into the eternal reality that God is with us. 
So I'm asking you, wherever you are today, have you heard? If you've heard, read with me these words. Do you not know? With me. Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks power and might. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. You're beginning to get it. You're getting a little stronger. Together again, right there. Don't change the slide. Right there is all you need to remember. Say it again like you mean it, like you've understood it, like you hear it in your ears day by day because almost daily you need to remember this verse. Say it again together. Though... Do you understand? Have you heard yourself say it? Will you remember it? And will you trust God to do it? 